Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 32, powered by Instat Hockey, offered in the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. Russ Cohen will be riding shotgun with me this week, and we'll be discussing hockey operations topics with former NHL executive Frank Provisano. Frank, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Well, uh, we're going to get into a bunch of different topics. Um, so let's start off with one that's really interesting uh, to me, really based on what's happened over the last five to six years, and about at analytics and the competitive advantage and how that's changing the world of hockey, especially at the NHL level. So from your perspective, um, what is modern analytics? And then how has it evolved uh, from the time that you've seen it, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago to now? Yeah, I think, you know, I started way back. I mean, my first job literally was taking the uh, scouting reports from the Vancouver Canucks that were in a big uh, file folder and putting them on a database just to give you an idea, I guess, of how old I am. But, um, you know, I think the term analytics for a long time or almost took on a bit of a negative connotation because there was a perception that it was taking all the subjective or experience-based viewpoints of, you know, sort of quote-unquote hockey people and, and, and minimizing them and just making it a pure numbers-based evaluation, which I think we've gotten away from over the last three, four years, let's say. And the truth of the matter is we've always been doing analytics in, in hockey and in sports because as soon as you record any statistical data and then look to it as some sort of reference point, that is, in fact, analytics. So the first time they measured a goal and who passed to them as an assist, that was, in, in effect, the first analytics, I guess. And we now have the ability with, you know, adding computing power and mathematical algorithms to, to data capture to just increase that universe. So, you know, I think really it started in hockey with saying, okay, well, we know who's on the ice. Where is the, where is the scoring object? And where are the players relative to it? And I think when I think of modern analytics, especially in terms of my tenure in, in front offices when I started in the 90s to when I left in, in 2013, that was really the biggest change is saying where not just what happened uh, in terms of who scored, but then what happened prior to who scored is kind of where modern analytics has started to evolve. And I still think we're at the front end of that. Frank, the, one of the biggest things that gets talked about is – the eye test. We all talk about it. We're all there watching. And I, and I wonder how do you integrate the data into that? And that's kind of the, where the conflict has been. It's a great question, you know, because historically and and still now you have, uh, you know, the, the, the quote unquote hockey guy who populates 
the majority of the uh, scouting positions in NHL teams, and for that matter, the majority of management positions in NHL teams. And they rely probably more so on the subjective eye test because the eye test is, in fact, valid in a lot of cases because it's based on a lot of experience playing the game and being around the game. So when you're at a game and you see maybe a, a bit of a hitch in a player's stride, there's no necessarily number that can capture that, but you also know that that is probably going to translate into an inability at the higher levels to get to spaces to, in order to impact the game. So the eye test has value. I look at analytics and say, okay, how do the numbers at a at sort of a, at a macro level support what your eye is seeing? And then on the flip side, how do I use raw data and filter it through whatever things that we filter through to determine what we think is important as a group or what I think is important as an evaluator to also strain out the bias of the eye test because there's value in the eye test in terms of integrating past experience and a lifetime experience in the game. The downside of the eye test is that it can reinforce bias and, and it's, it's subject to both internal bias. You know, you may, every evaluator has bias. In fact, anytime an evaluator says, I'm unbiased, be very wary. And there's also, uh, uh, you know, recency bias and that the eye test is a little more overweighted to what you've recently seen. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and the TSN Radio Network. I'm Shane Malloy with Russ Cohn. We're brought to you by the Business of Hockey Institute, the world leader in hockey education at businessofhockeyinstitute.com. We're discussing the NHL hockey operations with Frank Provenzano, former NHL executive and contributor to The Athletic and the TSN Radio Network. And Frank, uh, you know, one of the other interesting uh, topics uh, within analytics and competitive advantage is managing change. You know, competitive advantage today is tomorrow standard operating procedure. So from your perspective, how is that evolving? Um, and is it first-to-market wins at this point in time? Well, I just think that I believe your greatest skill as, as a manager or even as a coach going forward, not just in hockey and in professional sports, your greatest skill is going to be the ability to manage and adapt to change as quickly as possible and stitch it into how you do business. And so, I mean, it, it might be a first mover advantage in the sense of a pure first mover advantage. Uh, you know, the early adopter uh, gets the worm, but provided that that early adoption is in fact the competitive advantage, you know, I think of, of Billy Bean and the Oakland athletics, and he's been sort of seen as the, the, the pioneer in, in, adopting kind of the the analytics approach to running his baseball team but what you've seen is you know over the years an adoption of and an enhancement of of what he's been doing to the point that the Oakland Athletics are arguably no longer competitive because you've had a commodification 
a cookie cutter, if you will, commodification of base and major league baseball front offices uh, to the point that there's no real advantage to doing analytics. There's only a disadvantage to not. And, and in hockey, I think because we're sort of more on the front end of, of this adoption curve, I do think that, you know, zone entries, for example, I'll pick zone entries. Five years ago or four years ago, zone entries may have been something that if you were focusing on that gave you competitive advantage. And now with increases in adoption and increases in the technology able to um, the technological capabilities to capture that that data, that's something now that there's diminished competitive advantage too. So yeah, I think you always have to be searching for the next thing and figuring out how to sort of integrate that into what you're already doing because you don't always want to be throwing the baby out with the bathwater either. Either if you're constantly uh, reinventing yourself then that becomes uh, a really noisy environment as well to operate. And so it's going to be a real art form and a lot more difficult, I think, than people necessarily anticipate. The people that are really good at at, at managing change will be the people that, in my opinion, will be the, uh, have a greater chance of success for sure. Well, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. we come back, we'll continue to talk about the NHL head office right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.
You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk to Frank Provisano about hockey operations topics this week. Frank, as we continue to go through our topics, we'll continue on the analytics and competitive advantage. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on where you think analytics is headed uh, because there's been so much that's come out in the last, I say, the last five years, especially. And so what's the next step? Is there that integration of behavioral economics? Is there, um, you know, psychological and sociological issues thrown into there as well? Because um, at this point, it's about, you know, the player development part equation of it is the real fascinating part. Yeah, and I think, again, we're just at the front end and just scratching the surface of... um, analytics, if you will, in, in hockey. Hockey and football, in my opinion, are the two uh, most difficult sports to quantify analytically and capture uh, numerically what's actually going on in the field of play. Hockey, because it's so fast, because the scoring object is small and is actually, you know, it's relatively difficult to determine where it is and where it is relative to possession. And the players are jumping on and off the ice uh, during play, which is relatively relatively unique. So I think, you know, if you look at analytics and the analytical question, there, you know, it's what happened, why did it happen, how do I make that happen? And, and those are basically the three questions that if you solve that third question, how do I make that happen, then you can start to game plan and strategize around sort of predictive behavior. I think in the NHL, we're just getting around the question of what happened. You know, what is going on out on the ice that historically we have not been able to capture? Because one of the, the barriers to capturing analytics in hockey is there is so much going on, especially with respect to the puck scoring object, that if you just look at passing, for example, I, I did a, a project uh, with a consulting group out of Chicago where we started tracking passing. And it if you looked at the NHL stats, there were roughly between 400 and 600 statistical events per game. When we, when we overlaid passing on there, just completed passes, it added another four to 500 events. Wow. So we statistically doubled the number of statistical events in an NHL game just by adding completed passes. So I think that is... You know, when you talk about what happened, we're just getting over that first question of what happened, and then the next question is why. And I think that is when you start to add in sort of the the capability of machine learning and artificial intelligence to capture these data points instead of having a human being trying to track and mark all of these data points, that will be a step value change in where analytics is going in the NHL. Frank, what do we gain from external data versus the internal data? Well, I, to the point, you know, we were just talking about what just happened is generally we're talking about what happened on the ice. 
I think in terms of moving forward and, and, and down the road, you also want to know what just happened within the athlete himself. Because a lot of times, if you can figure out what's going on within your athlete, physiologically, neurologically, perceptively, then you could, it, it can start to have a causal relationship, if you will, to what just happened on the ice. And you can start to make links, you know, either positive or negative in terms of um, if you know what's going on inside the athlete, what is likely to happen on the field of play or on the ice. And so I think that next level of data that in my mind is, you know, kind of the, the ocean, if, if you make a, a comparison to the, you know, the earth, for example, we know a lot of what goes on on land. We know relatively little about the 75% of, the, of our planet that's covered by water because it's so difficult to figure out. I think that is the next sort of uh, frontier, if you will, uh, that maybe we can access either in practice or pregame, you know, through wearables or implants or what have you. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and the TSN Radio Network. I'm Shane Malloy with Russ Cohn, brought to you by the Business of Hockey Institute, the world leader in hockey education at businessofhockeyinstitute.com. We're discussing NHL hockey operations with Frank Provazano, former NHL executive and co- contributor to The Athletic and the TSN Radio Network. Uh, Frank, uh, you mentioned it already, but... I'm really interested in, and it's an area that I know a little bit about, but it's a little bit uh, obviously beyond my scope, and that's machine learning and artificial intelligence. I think it's uh, something critical that every NHL team has to explore uh, because it's just faster processing power than having a human being having to do it. From your perspective, what are the next steps in those two areas? Well, you know, if if you look at... uh say now, one of the challenges in collecting data in an NHL game does revolve around the puck. I mean, we've talked about chipping, you know, putting a chip in the puck. You know, infamously, years and years ago, there was the Fox glow puck, glow puck which during the telecast, half the time was ending up in the stands. And, uh, you know, what was interesting about that technology, by the way, that everyone hated when Fox introduced it, um, probably ahead of its time in the NHL, is that technology ended up being the uh, first down yardage marker for NFL for football telecasts, that, that yellow strip right. originated from the, uh, from the glow puck. But I think when you talk about machine learning and AI, I think as we look at a game and especially of the video capture of a game, which is, you know, video captures really just millions of video data points Machine learning can then figure out, okay, if players, first of all, who the players are relative to each other and where they are on the ice spatially, and if it it starts to carve the ice up into different spatial zones, they can almost figure out by the actions of the players where where the scoring object is or should be instead of actually trying to track it itself because that's one of the most difficult things to do is track the puck because, you know, it's small, it gets obscured. So I think that machine learning can really play a role and and ramp up and rev up the data capture of an NHL game 
because the machine can learn what players are doing through video and then predict to a fairly um, uh, reasonable prediction level, confidence level, where the puck is actually and what's going to happen next. Well, from an AI perspective, artificial intelligence, you know, how much is that going to help people analyze what players are going to do? And, and predictions about everything. And maybe it's not necessarily as important maybe at the NHL level, but I think at the prospect level and uh, discussions we have with people in evaluation is because you're trying to predict a 17, 18-year-old kid into a 23, 24-year-old man, and then what plays does he make are NHL transferable? Uh, and I mean this by taking what guys do at the NHL level successfully and almost mapping over top of other players and seeing that do they do the plays that they do at the junior level, college level, or if they play in Europe, do the largest percentage of the players, is that NHL transferable? Yeah, and that's really the the sort of premise of AI in terms of the benefit in predictive power is AI can process raw data quicker and less and, and more dispassionately than human beings can. I mean, that's, that's the real value and part of the scary part, I guess, if you're a dystopian part of, of AI is that it, it just can, you know, it can process massive amounts of raw metadata in a way that human beings couldn't even contemplate. And so I think that, you know, we're doing a very, a a much better job of capturing the data that's going on in an NHL game. But to your point, you know, we're still reliant on overly reliant, in my opinion, on eyeball tests for making these very difficult projections on, you know, six, five, six, seven, eight year projections on teenagers in terms of where they're going to be uh, performance wise in an NHL environment. And I think if we can start to get sort of that metadata earlier into the pipeline on, on these younger players, we can start to come up with some at least basic projection metrics uh, on, on where they might end up that we can at least use as a filter. Because there's, I mean, you've covered the draft a long time. The miss rate is much higher than the hit rate on drafted players in the NHL because it's an inherently difficult thing. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk about NHL hockey operations right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, we design solutions for hockey operations and business operations. As we continue to talk about hockey operations with Frank Provisano. Uh, we're going to change topics and we're going to discuss managing contracts and rosters in the salary cap world. And Frank, uh, one of the things that you and I have discussed uh, off radio uh, quite a few times is performance risk. And not all performance risk is created equal. From your perspective, you know, how do you balance that and how do you make the proper evaluations as you're building a template for performance risk? Well, I think, number one, it's, it's more art than science. It's, def- it's defined to some degree by what you as an organization or you as a management group or, quite frankly, you as a general manager think is important in terms of, of winning. Uh, but having said that, in general, I always looked at it as, you know, when you're allocating salary cap dollars, you're going to get dead money if you don't get the performance that you allocated for that contract in a, in a given year. And the, the, the residual value of that salary allocation is, is zero. It's dead money. You can't get it back. It's like an airplane that, that flies with an empty seat. There is no secondary market for that empty seat once the plane is taken off. And so to me, I always looked at it as performance value was or performance risk was a function to some degree of of scarcity and of replacement value and you know for example goaltenders in my mind huge performance risk on starting goaltenders because you can't there's no value if that goalie is not in the net whereas if you have a player that you uh, you know a lot, uh, say, first-line or second-line money to a forward, a winger, and he's not performing, you can still play him even in a lesser role. A goalie, if he's on the bench, that is a very expensive baseball cap that is sitting there cheering his teammates on. And so that's sort of, you know, if you're going to sort of uh, make a an illustration of the differences of performance risk, you can get away with a defenseman who's maybe not contributing offensively but is still playing 20 minutes a night. It's not exactly, you know, 
you might not be getting $7 million worth out of that player, but he might be contributing five. So it's a, a delta of two, for example. But your goalie, if he, if he falls out of your starting rotation, that's a delta of, you know, five, $6 million. Frank, uh, another thing that doesn't pay from a salary cap standpoint are intangibles. So maybe we could talk about and you could explain the scarcity versus intangibles. Yeah, I always looked at it as, you know, scarcity trumped everything when you were looking at allocating salary cap dollars, especially when it came to term. And one of the things, one of the traps in my mind that that management groups fall into, especially, especially when they've had success and have won championships or come close, is to pay or overpay excuse me, or over-allocate salary cap dollars to players who are quote-unquote leaders or good guys in the room or, or you know, whatever non-performance element you, you want to talk about. We, we tend to elevate those attributes up to a level that you just don't get a return on from a salary cap standpoint. And I'm not saying that they're not important. They are. I'm not saying they're not important. They clearly are. But from a salary cap standpoint, you're much better off paying on performance and scarcity than you are paying on whether a guy's a leader. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and the TSN Radio Network. I am Shane Malloy with Russ Cohn. We're brought to you by the Business of Hockey Institute, the world leader in hockey education, at businessofhockeyinstitute.com. And we're talking about managing contracts and rosters in the salary cap world, which has been a massive change comparative to what has happened, obviously pre-cap and now post-cap and how people manage. You know, one of the things I really find interesting, Frank, from, you know, this perspective of the salary cap is the one year too early rule. And, um, you know, we've seen this happen in other organizations of paying guys a little bit too early um, you know, for example, coming out of entry level contracts, and um, you know, you you didn't have to do that, but you know, you felt that could, guy could be a young core, and you took away a year of having that player under an entry level contract and allowing you to maximize an opportunity. Um, you know, we look to the Toronto Maple Leafs; they have an opportunity next year because they still have some guys under entry level, and you know, people are talking about paying the young guys this summer and my question is you know the one year too early rule like how dangerous can that be to an organization feeling they have to reward a guy um perhaps maybe earlier than they should well i think you hit the nail on the head and that is you know you typically look at your war room board and you think oh my gosh you know we got to lock this guy up because what if he leaves and there's that hole there on your on your roster and what you often don't discuss if you block those players in is who are you blocking out? What are the opportunity costs that you may be uh, putting yourself into by locking that player up or by paying them too early? And, and I always look, you know, one of the things I always found interesting or tried to educate myself is looked at not only what teams in the NHL were doing, but what teams in other sports were doing and, and to me, the, the New England Patriots are a great uh, sort of model for the one-year too early rule where the only constant in that 
regime has been Bill Belichick, the owner Robert Kraft, and Tom Brady. It seems like everyone else has been a, a moving part. And I, I always felt it, it was your job as a management group not to fall in love with players and to get rid of players one year too early instead of one year too late. Because if you're one year too late, and this is more, this is less a, a focus on signing young players too early and more a focus on managing assets and getting them out the door. If you're one year too late, you're probably, it's probably too late, period. And so I always thought, you know, let's get rid of assets a year too early. And, and, and that was my philosophy. You know, you weren't always good at it and you made a lot of mistakes ourselves. But I feel if you follow that sort of rule of law, it, does, it decreases the chances that you're just going to get stuck with assets that either have dead money risk attached to them or that you simply can't move and block some of these young players that you're talking about. NHL is becoming a younger and younger league. And one of the worst things you can do is get old and, and block your younger players from the opportunities that they can provide and give you performance at a lower dollar. You look at a situation where you could you sign a guy out of, um, you know, maybe he does a bridge contract and you sign him out and he you sign him until he, say, a five or six year deal and you get him till he's 28. Knowing that guys start to diminish depending on the style of player they are at age 30, 31. Knowing that you have these contract ends at 28 and he's a popular player, you're probably going to have to re-sign him again unless there's like some circumstances. Now you're pushing a player into a multi-year deal into his like early to mid-30s, which becomes that's where that dead money comes into, into play and you can't get rid of him uh, because of age and cap. Is there some benefit of looking at a player and saying, okay, we're going to give you an eight-year deal and have you over at 30 so then, then we can make it like a rational decision and not get stuck. We can legitimately move away from that player at thirty, in comparative where I don't think we can move away from that player at twenty-eight. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at sort of the contract life cycle of a player versus the performance like life cycle of a player. And your contract life cycle is entry level, bridge maybe, performance, and then what I call sunset contracts. You know, if you overshoot that performance piece, you're paying a player performance money during the sunset years and that's where you run into problems and so i do think now it's hard it's more uh it let me rephrase this it's less likely with the nhl getting younger that you're going to get that peak performance post 30 31 than you were even three four years ago and it's more likely now that players are coming into the league at 18 19 20 and making impactful NHL contributions to the point now where your young core, a team now with a young core, it's not 25, 26, you know, 24, 25, 26. Young cores now are 22, 23, 24. So everything has shifted down two to three years. So I think, I guess I agree with you. Yeah, like I'd rather have a player who's finishing, you know, we're paying his performance premium through his late 20s into 30, and then making the sunset decision at that time. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. we come back, we'll continue to talk about the NHL hockey operations right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. 
Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skilled development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, we design solutions for hockey operations and business operations. As we continue to talk about hockey operations with Frank Provisano. Topic of managing contracts and rosters in the salary cap world. Frank, here's a big one that we we discuss in my MBA program um, all the time, and it's about measuring value versus cost. And one of the things that I, I always come up with, and I've I've said it to a couple of my classmates, is you know I think sometimes people know you know the price of everything and the value of nothing. How do you measure value versus cost in a salary cap world? Um, you know, in the NHL. Well, it relates to all those things that we've been talking about: scarcity you know, what you value internally as, as an evaluation group. But that is the essence of the art of, of managing your roster, is figuring out what is valuable relative to cost. Because the one thing you know is the cost. And, you know, when you are figuring out the return you're going to get is, is what is that player going to give you relative to what your coaching staff strategically, you know, wants to game plan game in and game out over 82 games and hopefully four rounds of the playoffs. Does that, does that player fit into that mix of the soup that they're making to give you what you need? And that has value and how, and then how many other players can give you that same performance and what do they cost? And really that's the essence of it. Ideally you find the lowest cost alternative at that performance number to plug in there, to give yourself the maximum flexibility going forward to go and get the next player that your coach needs because these allocations, these needs aren't static. They're dynamic needs. They change continuously. You're always, your coach is always coming up to and saying, you know, this, this guy can't play. I need this. We're weak here. And you're constantly as a group, as a, as a hockey operations group, going back and forth and assessing your team and saying, okay, we're stronger than we thought here. We're a little weaker here, whatever it may be on the blue line, up front, penalty kill, power play in net. And then you're constantly going out and looking to enhance your weaknesses and, and, and maintain your strengths. And so 
the way you do that as the person in charge of doing contracts or allocating contracts is making sure to the best of your ability that you're, you're getting those, those players that, that give you that value at the lowest cost possible. Frank, how, how dangerous are um, traditional roster definitions like, hey, I need a fourth line full of like energy guys and, and grease? Like, is that something where it just doesn't pay off anymore in today's NHL? I really don't think it does. And I think, you know, especially in a salary cap world, if you, I did a little exercise where I just looked at going into this season, sort of the, the median salary allocations of, of NHL teams. Cause you know, you could argue that a particular NHL GM doesn't know what he's doing, but if you take the collective wisdom of the 30, I didn't include Vegas because that was such a special, uh, right. you know, team construction, which turns out is pretty good team construction. But if you took the collective wisdom of the 30 NHL GMs as a whole, you say, okay, they're allocating dollars relatively efficiently. And if you look at it, if you look at the median salaries of, 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 of these, uh, the way that NHL GMs have allocated dollars going into this year, it actually breaks down differently than, you know, first line, second line, third line, or top pair. And it actually breaks down NHL GMs have allocated salaries on the basis that I found as a primary attack group. So your top line gets allocated salary differently than the next six forwards, for example. Mm-hmm. And it gets allocated differently on the wings versus down the middle. It gets allocated differently. Uh, your top defenseman gets typically allocated dollars differently than the next uh, three defensemen. And then the bottom of the grouping is kind of either a, a role player slash typically a younger entry-level player and or specialist. So, yeah, I, I think it's now groups of players, you know, it, it's almost like a, a top-line attack group, then your, your secondary scoring group, and then your depth forwards on the front end. Or on defense, your true number one, then your top four group of defensemen, and then your depth defensemen. Instead of, you know, first line, second line, third line. I think those are, that's a, a nomenclature, to go back to my high school physics, that's uh-huh. a nomenclature that is outdated, in my opinion. And dangerous if you're allocating your, if you're, if you're constructing your roster that way, because it doesn't reflect the current reality. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and the TSN Radio Network. I'm Shane Malloy with Russ Cohn. We're brought to you by the Business of Hockey Institute, world leader in hockey education at businessofhockeyinstitute.com. We're discussing NHL hockey operations with Frank Provisano, former NHL executive and contributor to The Athletic and the TSN Radio Network. Uh, another interesting uh, um, aspect in terms of managing contracts, rosters in the salary cap world is, and I've heard this discussed in the scouts room uh, and amongst GMs and assistant GMs is, you know, when you get into what they call the war room um, is the importance of having a, a contrarian in the room, basically the mosquito. And sometimes that's fun for some people and sometimes it's not. But Frank, from your perspective, how value is it to have somebody who plays the contrarian and the devil's advocate to increase critical thinking amongst the group? Well, I personally, first of all, 
I'm going to, I'm going to admit to bias here because everyone has bias and I'm biased towards having that, you know, contrarian in the room because I felt that was my role for a long time. And, you know, I certain, I'm sure a lot of people felt I was the fun mosquito a lot of times because you get, it's fun to go get players. It's not fun to not go get players. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes, you know, you're having these group discussions, especially around trade deadline time or in the off season, you know, heading to the draft for agency where it's all about the hunt. And it's, you know, it's sometimes a wah, wah, wah moment when someone's saying, well, you know, what if we do succeed in our quest here? What, have we thought of this outcome? And it's a bit of a wet blanket, but I found personally that the biggest regrets I had in my career in the front office were the times that I didn't speak up when I had some reservations about the downside risk of a potential move. You know, is that just a matter inside the room of do people recognize that who is the the contrarian and do does a good manager, a good general manager understand the value of that and can that cause you know, good friction and bad friction amongst the conversations when you're talking to not only amateur scouts, but the pro scouts as well? Yes, I mean, absolutely. And that is something that, you know, the effectiveness of the contrarian, of the contrarian and the fun mosquito, in my opinion, relies on primarily on two people. Number one, the general manager to give the contrarian, whether it's a contract guy or you know, now a lot of times the contrarian that's sitting at the table is, is the analytics guy, you know, for example, is to give them a, a proper voice and a proper forum to express their viewpoint, even if it might be in opposition to what the group is, is doing. And then the second person that, that really makes this, that, that relationship function efficiently is the contrarian himself he has to recognize that he gives his opinion. And once he gives his opinion, he also needs to recognize where it falls within the group decision-making process, because where it breaks down is, is when they just don't back off and you can keep pounding the table. And then if you keep pounding the table, you're firing bullets in your gun that maybe you shouldn't as the contrary. Knowing when to pick your spots. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, t- t- there comes a point where it's like, okay, we get it. You don't like this. <laughs> you don't like this player, you know, but when you walk out of the room, everyone's got to be in lockstep. And and that, that really is the skill of general manager. And I think it's going to be interesting. You know, you, you've seen, particularly in the last five years, you've seen the NHL sort of open its doors to some degree, varying degrees to these people that were, you know, a lot of these, these analytics types, that were sort of working in the shadows in their own little communities. And now they're, they're in the tent. And what's going to be interesting in this first wave, we're through this first wave of sort of acceptance is how many of them will be able to understand that their viewpoints are not always absolute. You know, you may have a viewpoint that's based, that's overweighted towards a numerical capture but understand that not everything can be captured numerically. So are some of the, are some of the things, whether you're, you know, maybe you're a heavy coursey guy, but are some of the things that you believe as truths, once you get inside the tent and hear some of the other viewpoints, 
does your confidence level uh, get shaken a little bit? Fair enough. Absolutely. And how do you adapt? Yes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. When we come back. We'll continue to talk about NHL hockey operations right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is our two in Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're speaking with Frank Provisano. Um, as we were going to change topics and talk about emerging trends in player evaluation, which I find fascinating because um, it's an ongoing process, I think, of learning how to evaluate players. I've been at it for over a decade, and there are times when I go to the rink, I'm like, what the hell am I watching here? Uh, and you have to reset yourself and go back in there again. Um, <laughs> Frank, <laughs> you know, a couple couple things come to mind is, you know, bridging the divide, you know, you know, stitching the the analyst into the decision making equation uh, when you're doing player evaluation. You know, because I have, you know, there's a, a bunch of different tools that I use, and trying to stitch that all in together to make a puzzle piece is sometimes a very challenging thing because you're trying to weight the value of each one of those tools uh, because not everything is weighted evenly or has the same level of value. Yeah. I- Totally agree with that. I mean, if you, you know, look at emerging trends in evaluation, which is what this segment is about, I think the first step in that is we have so much more information and information tools now at our disposal when it comes to trying to figure out if an NHL player, if a player is going to be an NHL player, number one, and then number two, what type of NHL player he's going to be and how he's going to contribute, that it's hard to sort of, the, the, the next stage in that is, is is sorting this whole mess out. And, you know, we, we touched on it briefly in, in, in the previous segment, 
But how do you stitch that voice in the room who is coming at this from an entirely different viewpoint than traditional hockey people have? And, and how, do you, how do you stitch it in and make it meaningful and, and, and make it difference-making and enhance the eye test? You know, we talked about the eye test. Enhance that eye test. Give them better clarity. You know, when you had your kid's microscope set and you had the different settings, one time, two time, three time, how do you put it on ten times magnification, that eye test, instead of one time, is really what we're talking about. And that's step number one in terms of, of going forward is just figuring out how to, how to make sense of all this new data. Frank, what, how do you decide what data is usable to capture from non-NHL leagues? Like, you know, if it's the SHL or the KHL or the Czech League, or how do you figure out if those numbers are good based on there's so many different variables, ice size, is one league more physical than the other, all those different variables? Well, you know, we talked about, um, you know, the stages of data analytics, what happened, why did it happen, how do I make that happen? And we have, we're relatively recently into the, what happened, getting a handle on what happened at the NHL level. And the next step, in my opinion, and this is where, you know, you start to shift from managing NHL player, making NHL player decisions versus making NHL draft decisions is, or NHL player acquisition decisions, if you will, uh, is figuring out and getting the data from non-NHL leagues, answering the question, what just happened on, on a rink that's not an NHL rink. And, and so, you know, one of the things I think that offers great promise there is the ability to take video and start to use some of these machine learning tools to, and predictive tools to figure out what's happening from a game that's not an NHL game, but for example, an American Hockey League game or a major junior game. The video quality now is good enough where you can start feeding that video metadata into your, your filters and start parsing out or teasing out uh, the, you know, some of the, the predictive things that you would for NHL players out of these non-NHL leagues. Okay, Frank, the, and that's, I agree with that. There's also that part where, like, we've seen in junior hockey rinks, and you've seen it where the shot clocks are erratic, guys get phantom second assists, um, you know, like, the, you know, the, that's a big issue with collecting data. The one thing I was thinking of, is it possible that you'll have a scout in the, in, at the rink doing the eyeball test and hiring almost like a team of guys to go wander around and collect their own video at the rink, um, in terms of player ISOs and, and things like that, just to make sure that, because when you follow the camera around, it, never, it only shows half of the rink, or if that, if you're lucky, a third of the a third of the rink, and you don't know what's going on. I need to know if the guy on the back check is going to the proper location and taking the right angles at the right speed. And sometimes video just doesn't well, it doesn't capture any of that. For me, I always like to take the sort of conventional wisdom and put it in a bottle and shake it around and turn it upside down and see what falls out because that's 
sometimes what falls out is is where the competitive advantage lies, you know, in, in, in taking things that that aren't being done and ter- sort of turning it on its head. And so your question really is, what is scouting? And the traditional scouting model, to your point, is you fly someone or they drive to a game, you know, in, in, in Moose Jaw, and they go and they watch warm-up and they get the lines. And then whenever, you know, whenever the player that they're focusing on or maybe there's three or four players are on the ice, they're watching what they're doing. And then a lot of the times with five minutes left in the game, they leave. (laughs) And maybe scouting, that's, that's probably when we look back on this, let's say 50 years from now, not five, but 50, are we going to look back at this moment in time and say, wow, was that ever inefficient? Because scouting at that point will be, you know, we have some sort of mobile device where we just go and we capture the game, the whole game on video, and then we go back to our, our, you know, we feed that into a central computer or the cloud or whatever it happens to be at that time, and then that downloads each player's ISO to us, and then we make our evaluations. We actually scout the game post-fact. I don't know, but I think your, your question is less about what we're doing now than what is what is scouting now and what is it going to be? Because my opinion is scouting right now is still very traditional and actually very inefficient. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and the TSN Radio Network. I'm Shane Malloy with Russ Cohn. We're powered by Upper Deck, your source of e-cards. Find UpperDeckEPAC.com. We're discussing the NHL hockey operations with Frank Provisano, former NHL executive and contributor to The Athletic and the TSN Radio Network. You know, and this is where it comes down to is automation. Uh, Frank, the next question is like using algorithms to replace the headcount, um, what's the value of that moving forward? Replacing headcount is maybe the wrong term to use because people then equate that with, well, you're just going to have a bunch of uh, computers making decisions about human beings and human performance, and that doesn't work. And I think maybe the better way to phrase that is using algorithms to shift headcount, to shift the way to apply your human personnel and away from just the, the visual recording of the event, you know, instead of sending a scout to watch a game that you have a way to sort of watch the games and get the relevant information that you need, you know, using not people, but using machine learning computers and then having that same headcount interpreting this data instead of collecting it because right now we're heavy into evaluators as data collectors right they go to individual games they watch the game which is really data collection and then they file a scouting report which is interpretation but if you look at time spent how much of that is actually on collection probably 90 percent of it right so can we shift that because the real value is interpretation and prediction. The low value piece of that is collection. Anyone can sit there and watch a game. It's what do you make of watching that game? So can we apply the computing power or AI or whatever you have into the collection piece and then shift our headcount to the interpretation and and prediction of it? Well, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back 
right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio on, and Junior Prospect Hockey League with Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at juniorprospecthockeyleague.com. We're continuing to talk to Frank Provisano about hockey operations. As we continue to discuss emerging trends in player evaluation, Frank, I want to ask you about um, external data capture versus internal and what's going around around like the player versus within the player because this is a lot of the things that you know we talk about off air in terms of the psychology of the players, but also I think a lot of people we sometimes forget how radically different the generations are from the baby boomers to generation X, which is you know pretty much our generation to the you know the millennials and generation Z like the millennials and the generation Z their generations are so radically different in terms of how they uh, consume information how they learn how they behave because they've been parented not only by their individual parents but by society radically different than how we grew up um so how does that, you know, the external versus internal, how is that going to work as we begin to manage these younger generations? Well, I think that's critical. Uh, you've hit on a critical point there. And I think the other, you know, piece of, of the discussion of 
millennials and, and Generation uh, Z or Z. I, can't, I don't know if we're in Canada or U.S. here, but um, <laughs> is you know they 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 they've arguably been parented radically differently. Inarguably, they are being raised in a technological reality that is different not only from our generation but different from the rest of human history in the sense that you know we now have you know social media and and phones which are not really phones but they're really behavior altering devices that are in everyone's back pocket that are the most outside of family they're the most important things in their lives right now and it is fundamentally changing the way that they communicate consume and interpret information. And I think to your point, when we are evaluating players that we can't evaluate them in a vacuum of, of as, as hockey players, they're also people and individuals that are a function of this new environment. And to ignore that is to ignore reality at your peril, I believe. And today's athlete now, is a different athlete. They're just, they are different. They consume information differently. They, their expectations on communication and information is radically different, in my opinion, than it was even 10 years ago. And I think we have to take that into account because a lot of our evaluation protocols and models are based on our reality and not theirs. Frank, where are we at with predictive neurophysiology, you know, wearables and plantables? Give you an example. Like two years ago at Flyers rookie camp, Ivan Provorov, who's both, both of his parents are doctors, and, and he was wearing, you know, like not a Fitbit but something else. And I had asked him, hey, what is that that you keep checking? And he goes, oh, no, no, it's nothing. I was just curious what time it was. But clearly I knew he was he was up to other things, probably checking his heart rate and stuff. Where are we with that, maybe even using that? In games, well, I think we're we're at the uh, sort of at the front end of that too. I think that's also going to be the next battle line, if you will, on on where the rights of the data rights of teams end and the privacy rights of players begins. Uh, but I think that is the next great frontier of opportunity is to figure out not only what's going on on the ice, but what's going on within the player. And are there markers, you know, especially when you talk about, say, the draft, for example, are there physiological or neurological markers that predispose uh, players towards different types of performance behaviors? For example, you know, is if someone produces a higher level of testosterone, you know, while that may be good for uh, athletic, for for muscle build, for example, does that predispose someone during periods of higher stress? In other words, you know, overtime or the last two minutes of a game, does that predispose them to poor or suboptimal performance? You know, I don't know. That's where the I think there's opportunity for research on stuff like that, but are there, are there neurological markers or the physiological markers, which are like, Hey, this might predict performance. 
regardless of what you're seeing on the ice. What you're seeing on the ice is actually a manifestation of what actually is the internal makeup of that player. And I think, you know, we're, we're, this is sort of not now, but in the future, you know, you talked about uh, Provorev and checking his watch. Like I run those dumb obstacle course races. I just went ran one this past weekend. It was the first time I, I ran one with a heart rate monitor. And it's interesting having that data just on what your heart rate is doing, how it alters your, your uh, strategy going, you know, during the course of a race. Cause realize, wow, I'm, I'm at 10 beats per minute too high. I'm not going to make it through this race. And that really is data feedback on what was going on inside my body, very basic. But I think take that and multiply it by a factor of 10 at the highest level of professional sport, and you really have opportunity to make a difference competitively and performance-wise. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and the TSN Radio Network. I'm Shane Malloy with Russ Cohn. We're powered by Upper Deck, your source of e-cards from UpperDeckEPAC.com. We're discussing NHL hockey operations with Frank Provisano, former NHL executive and contributor to The Athletic and the TSN Radio Network. Uh, you know, Frank, um, one of the interesting uh, you know questions I have for you is about cohort scouting and that digital footprint and predicting personality. And it's conversations I've had um, with many people in terms of trying to predict decision-making processes in particularly kids that are 17, 18 years old. And does that change? Um, can it change? And how will that impact a person who is 23, 24? And should that impact whether you consider drafting that player or not? Um, from your perspective, where is this going? Well, I think, you know, we talked about millennials, Generation Z, as being, you know, products of a technological reality that is much more different than anything that we were a product of even when we grew up, one generation before. And I think this is a, a topic that's, uh, very topical right now, at least in the United States, as it relates to the last uh, election, for example, because you had a, a firm, you know, Cambridge Analytica, that it appears was able, by using a Facebook survey, it was able to predict voting behavior, not just of the people, potential voting behavior, not just of the people that took the survey, but of the people that they were in their sphere, their footprint digitally, in this case on Facebook. So just think about that and take that example and start thinking of applications, not necessarily using Cambridge Analytica because they're, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit controversial, but, but that premise and saying we now have digital footprints of people that we are scouting as 16, 17, 18-year-olds. This is the first time we've ever had digital footprints that go back almost their entire lives or, you know, from the point that they were 8, 9, 10 years old. This is the first crop of, 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 of the generation of players that we have this sort of non-hockey but data footprint that we can start to maybe analyze both from them and from the people that they that they uh, hang out with 
and start to make predictive, um, predictive, uh, you know, guesses on what kind of hockey players are going to be. I mean, it's fascinating. Absolutely. I'm curious to see where this continues to, to move forward. And there's a whole bunch of different applications in that area. But we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect. Ray, we come back. We'll continue to talk about the NHL head office right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio and Outside Edge player development for an on and off ice training featuring KPI based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. We're continuing to talk to Frank Provisano about hockey operations. Uh, Frank, let's talk about some sports management uh, career advice and just sports management in general because. I think it's one of the first times um, because of the internet and these, the, the ability to change how you educate yourself for a potential front office position. I know it's difficult. Like it's hard for people to envision themselves being an NHL coach, but it might be easier for people to envision themselves to work within an NHL head office in a variety of capacities. Um, you know, there's many roads that lead to Rome, as they say, um, so could you sort of give uh kind of sort of start us off on how you ended up in the NHL head office because I'm always fascinated by how people ended up getting there. Yeah, I mean I I I think your your point that there's many roads lead to Rome is a good one. Uh 
And I also agree with you that, you know, people, your average person, probably less likely that they'll end up running an NHL bench than they would running an NHL team. Although the NHL still does lag behind the other professional leagues, in my opinion, in embracing non-hockey people to run their organizations. If you look at, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and the NBA, for example, they have uh, NBA types or, or, or non-player types running their teams. It's less so in hockey. I think that is changing, and I do agree that I get a lot of people that reach out to me that say, hey, you know, can you help me or can you give me any advice on, on I'd love to work in an NHL front office someday. And I think, you know, my example was kind of a good one because I almost fell into a 17-year career despite myself. Uh, I I was out in Vancouver doing my MBA. You know, I, I did a my undergraduate. I played uh, varsity hockey at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, and I, I did a degree there in, in sports science. And um, I applied out to the MBA program at Simon Fraser because in my last year, here's the planning that went into my career. I, I applied to Simon Fraser because in my last year at Queens, I tried skiing and I really liked it. And I thought it'd be <laughs> fun to go to Vancouver and ski. <laughs> Priorities. And uh, I thought my parents would, you know, wouldn't go for me being a ski bum. So I applied to the MBA program there. And um, that's kind of how I ended up in Vancouver and then towards the end of my MBA program, I was like going to, you know, the career nights and stuff. And it was, you know, banks and investment companies. It just seemed really boring. And so I thought it would be cool to get an internship with the NHL team there. So I literally, I called the Vancouver Canucks front office to get a name of someone that I could send a resume to. to. And the girl at the time who ended up becoming a friend because she ended up working there. She was a temp working uh, the front desk that day. <laughs> and I called and she was like, you know, I gave my little spiel and she said, well, what are you interested in? And I said, well, uh, I don't know. And she said, well, there's PR, there's marketing, there's hockey operations. And I said, oh, hockey operations sounds uh, pretty interesting. And she said, that would be George McPhee. And at that point, I was ready to hang up the phone and she was like, well, we're probably being a temp. She's like, well, I'll put you through. And she put me through, and George picked up the phone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. I think that the biggest message that I have for people in terms of trying to map a, a, a pathway out to a job in, in pro sports, because it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's, it's a real, it's a closed system. It's a real small, you know, you're, you're talking about a labor market that's tiny, it's geographically dispersed. There's only one team, you know, in a city in 31 cities mm-hmm. right now. It's a tough, it's a tough path. It's a tough road to navigate, and a lot of people fail. But I, I think number one is, you know, just almost like you, you almost have to think of yourself as a your own little hockey startup, if you will, and you got to dream big. <laughs> and in this case, you know, like I. I I just call the Canucks. I got lucky, but you have to be prepared when you get lucky and you get an opportunity to exploit it. And, and I really had nothing prepared to say to George McPhee, but I gave him my little spiel. And it must have been good. You know, yeah, he told me. He said, "Hey, come on in and, and talk to me on Monday." Literally. And I, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I'm going camping." 
<laughs> can I come in the following Monday, which was a dumb thing to say, but for some reason he seemed okay with it. So I went camping, and then uh, this is how you know naive I was, I guess, at the time. Uh, but I went in and talked to him, and I didn't realize at the time, but back in 1994, NHL front offices were much smaller uh, entities, and NHL teams were much smaller entities than they are now. And um, Dave Nonis was on the business side with the Canucks, but he wanted to get on the hockey operations side, so he was on the side doing this project. I had referenced uh, earlier maybe that you know my first job was, was – sort of digitizing or date or putting into electronic data format, their scouting reports. Dave Donis had started that project and they didn't have anyone. When he left to go to the NHL league office with Brian Burke, they didn't have anyone to do it. And so they needed someone to continue that process. And, and that was me. And that's how I started. And so, you know, you, you do need an opportunity. And once you get an opportunity, exploit it. And then the other, you know, thing that I learned along the way is you, you do need an advocate. And in this case, you know, I started with Mike Penny down in the scouting department there. Uh, George put me there. And then I just, you know, I went in there every day. I, I, I was doing my thesis for my MBA. So I just did all night hours there. And I, um, I, I continued to work. And, and when the NHL, the, the NHL lockout of 94, 95, was it, I believe. Mm-hmm ended in at Christmas time and I happened to graduate, they hired me. I started in the scouting department and that, that first summer, uh, George had the, the Canucks had two salary arbitrations, one with Joseph Baranek, I believe, and maybe the other with Russ Cordenal. Uh, but my memory's getting foggy there. And so I just asked George, I said, Hey, I have an MBA. I have an interest in, in, in this kind of stuff. Do you mind if I help you with the research? And he said, sure. And so I started helping him with the research on it. Uh, I'm preparing for the salary arbitrations to the point where, you know, over my three years there, I started doing more contract prep and contract research for George in addition to the scouting stuff I was doing for Mike. And uh, when George got the GM job in Washington, he took me along with him. And it, it literally started that whole journey, you know, and then to Washington becoming the assistant GM there and then moving to Dallas, that whole journey literally started with a cold call <laughs> to the Vancouver Canucks front office and attempt answering the phone. Oh, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's one, there is a tiny bit of luck in that, uh, but a lot of it is based on perseverance and not being afraid to ask and talk to people. I find that's the, the biggest issue a lot of people have is they look to like a CEO or to a general manager or somebody who's high up and they think they don't have time to talk or they won't bother to talk to you. And I've found every general manager, assistant GM in the NHL, they're more than happy to talk to somebody who's got who's fired up and passionate and just is just looking for a little bit of advice of what direction to go in and somebody who's going to be honest with them. Um, it's generally all the middle management people that are so busy and the top guys end up having a little bit more time to to talk to, you know, just the, the kid on the street. Yeah, and, and I always felt too like Everyone started out as a kid on the street, you know, maybe not if you're a general manager and you play in the league, I guess, and have a thousand games under your belt. But other than that, like everyone was that kid on the street at some point. And I always felt like if I can give someone just a little, you know, nugget that helps them get a foot in the door and get their own, their own story started 
and because it, it sports is a business where people do grow up dreaming about being in that industry and you know I also try and be honest with them and say here here's the here's the realities of the industry that you're dreaming about there's the glorious glamorous parts of it here's some of the downsides that you need to consider before you commit you know your career to it because there are some some costs that come along with it and some realities but if I can help someone write their own story, that's a real gratifying thing for me, you know? And, and the truth is professional sports, it's a young man's game and everyone's got a shelf life, but you're going to get in at some point, you know, there's, there's the three stages to your career, right? Uh, who is Frank Provenzano? Actually there's four stages. Who is Frank Provenzano? We got to get a guy like Frank Provenzano. We got to get Frank Provenzano. And who is Frank Provenzano? <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, and, and on that note, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, and we'll be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio and Outside Edge player development for an on and off ice training featuring KPI based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. We're continuing to talk to Frank Provisano about hockey operations. As we continue our conversation about sports management career advice, um, you know, one of the things. I'm really interested in to get your thoughts on is 
being strategic, and I know you've mentioned some of that um, in last segment, but in getting your foot in the door and making sure that door leads to the right rooms for you, um, you know, elaborate more on that specifically, because obviously you got through a certain way, but then as an NHL executive of being an assistant GM, you got to see that happen from the other side of watching other people come through, not only make good decisions strategically, but then making poor decisions as well. Um, give us a little perspective of, you know, watching other people map out their, their own paths. Well, yeah. And, and, and some of the perspective is the poor decisions that I made. I mean, you heard how well I planned out my career. I went out to BC to ski, uh, but <laughs> you know, I think, what I've seen in, 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 in my years and what I tell people now, you know, who are, who are trying to get into the business is you have to be strategic in the sense that, like, let's say your passion is, is analytics, for example, because we talked a lot about analytics. Get in with a team that really believes in analytics as opposed to just checking the analytics box. Because there are still a good number, in my opinion, of NHL teams who, you know, they hire an analytics guy and like, okay, we, we do analytics because they've hired one guy or two guys. Right. Do they really believe in analytics? Do they really integrate it? Do you really have a voice or you just have an office? Because there's a difference. Or, you know, maybe is it better? Sometimes people who want to get into sports, they take a job with a major professional team, but in sales, for example, versus a job with a minor league team where it's less glamorous, it's less profile, but you are getting way more experience because you are a jack of all trades and you are wearing many, many hats versus just trying to push tickets. Because the truth is, if your goal is one day to work in, a, in an NHL hockey operations front office, you're not, much, you're not that much closer to that goal working in that same team's ticket department than you are working outside of that team. Because it's, it's still a pretty wide gulf that you have to jump. And, you know, there's so many, it, typically people, when they think of sports, they get into the sales and then they get into selling tickets because that's the biggest doorway into an entry level job in sports. But you also have to measure to where do you ultimately want to be? And if you ultimately want to be in a hockey operations office, that may not be the best pathway to go. No, that's a great point. How often should somebody self-evaluate frank like is it is it often what's what's the time frame for that and how important is it i think it's constant you have to constantly self-evaluate and that's one of the biggest traps i've seen people fall into when they get a job in sports is they get complacent or you know they're they're in sports it's cool you typically get into sports when you're younger and you're single and it's fun it's a fun lifestyle there's a, you know, it, they're very flat organizations. They've become a little more uh, layered over the years, but they're still, you know, flat where there's not many uh, chiefs and, and, and a lot of Indians. And, and, and you are, you know, part of that sort of strata where when you get in, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of youthful energy. The games are fun. They're high profile after the games. You go out with a lot of your coworkers, you know, and it, it's a fun environment. And so it's very easy to let one season, one game bleed into the next, one week into the next, in regular season into playoffs, into off season, into training camp, and that cycle just goes on. You turn around and it's you're three years down the road. 
And I saw so many people over my time, you know, I just had coffee with someone the other day where they're like, I just feel like I'm stuck. And the truth is they are. And I think you always have to reevaluate where do I want to be? And five years from now, where do I want to be? And what am I doing today that's going to get me there? Because if one year bleeds into the next and the next and you're still doing the same thing, you're not getting closer to your goal. And it's not okay because for some people that is okay. But if your ultimate goal is to be, you know, at a, at a level higher, the, the teams aren't sitting there or your manager, you know, your, the GM's not sitting there thinking, oh, boy, I hope Frank Provenzano feels, uh, you know, feels like he's really getting down his career path here. So I got to make sure that I'm giving him job responsibilities that make him fear, feel fulfilled. No, the general manager's thinking, I got to find a center, you know, for our power play. That's what's consuming his day. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, and the TSN Radio Network. I'm Shane Malloy with Russ Cohn. We're powered by Upper Deck, your source of e-cards. Find at UpperDeckEPAC.com. We're discussing NHL hockey operations with Frank Provisano, a former NHL executive contributor to The Athletic and the TSN Radio Network. You know, one of the other things that I think is really critically important is understanding the culture of the organization that you could potentially going into. Because um, if you don't find a way to align your your goals within the culture of the organization, um, you're probably not going to achieve the things that you want to. And um, picking your boss is, I think, more important, I don't know what your perspective is, than, than anything else is who's going to be your boss and how, how are they going to be able to help you move forward? Absolutely, 100% agree. And, you know, depending on, on how high up your boss is, who's your boss's boss? Because, you know, that's going to impact you a lot as well. And, and, and how, quite frankly, how stable they are. Because, you know, you only get so many chances in sports because it is a small, closed labor market. To, to grab that brass ring. And if you, if you reach for it and you miss, or if you reach for it and you grab it, but the horse you're sitting on, you know, it falls off the carousel, you might be done. You might be one and done. And so I really think you hit on a critical point, and that is, you know, what is the culture of the organization that you're going into, and how do you fit into it? The NHL... Pro sports in general, I think, but the NHL in particular is a pretty conservative culture for a number of reasons. A lot of Canadians, uh, you know, it's, it's a very team-based culture, very conformist culture. So a lot of the things that we've talked about over the course of, of the segments that we've talked about, you know, in terms of where are things going, really, you know, we failed to, to really talk about how a lot of those will run into problems of meshing with culture you know because we're we're talking about a lot of the things we talked about in our sessions and our segments were about change and you also have to understand or someone has to understand going into an nhl environment that they're going into an environment that a lot of times doesn't handle change well and so 
you know, whether it's your boss or his boss, how, how well do they, if, if you're going in and you want to be a change agent, you really have to think about the environment that you're going into and how do they embrace change or do they resist it? Yeah, it's true. And it's, uh, it's, it's that balancing act of, and I think a lot of the younger generation that probably listen to the show are more agents of change and they like to contribute and um, understand <laughs> if you're coming into hockey, that may not happen right away. That doesn't mean the guys don't change up top because there's been a lot of change lately, but it doesn't always happen um, as quickly as some people think it does. But Frank, we want to thank you very much for coming on our show, dedicating all this time, uh, your experience in the NHL. We really appreciate it. It was a fantastic um, and interesting conversation, and we look forward to having you back on our show before the draft. Always a pleasure, guys. This has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Fractal Hockey Consulting, and Outside Edge Player Development. You can listen to our show on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube and follow us on Twitter at HP Radio and HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you to our guest, Frank Provisano, and we will see you at the rink. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.